Um, well, um, as David introduced me, um, my name's Dan from Car Design. I've been with Car um, Designing Workplaces um, for over the last 10 years. Um, for a variety of um, different clients from um, the private sec sector through to sort of semi-government um, combination, I guess some of our major um, clients um, being Australia Post, um, legal, legal firms like Norton Rose Fulbright um, and consultancy practices like Bain & Co um, and Boston Consulting Group. Cars are multidisciplinary practice, has been around uh, for 40 years and is led by the much awarded Sue Carr, who I can't if she's here yet, but she may turn up shortly. Um, and we span the discipline of, of um, workplace, but also hospitality, design, and um, residential. And we find that the, 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 the trends and the, and the themes of each of those different disciplines feed um, into each other. Um, and no doubt will um, affect some of the discussion that we have tonight. So it really is a discussion this evening. It's not necessarily a giving a lecture. Um, so we really, are, I guess I'm hoping for quite a bit of audience participation and, and possibly also looking to generate ideas around how um, you see wellness in the workplace and the, 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 uh, the, the issues that are affecting um, you in your everyday um, li working lives and um, possibly look to um, come up with new creative ways and forms of, of dealing with these issues um, Mm. Ahead, yeah. Thank, thanks, Dan. Yeah, so certainly our um, diff slightly different experience will be um, hopefully really a rich uh, part of this evening. But as Dan said, your experiences will also be really um, uh, very welcome and, and very much enriching the wisdom of the group that's out there. So we'll be uh, mining for that for that wisdom a bit tonight. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. So my name's David Hall. I'm the director of um, PHW Group, which stands for Productive Healthy Workplaces. So uh, my background's in physiotherapy. I've um, graduated 20-odd years ago. In the last 10 to 12 years, I've been very much focused on workplace wellbeing. And in more recent years, increasingly involved in workplace, uh, advising around workplace design to um, very much promote worker wellbeing. So that's a, a growing space for us and a very exciting space for us. Um, for, for, for many years, there's been a frustration for us around coming into a pre-designed, pre-fitted out workplace and then being told, OK, um, you know, get everyone comfortable and do ergonomic assessments and away you go. We want everyone to be uh, fit and, and healthy and well in the workplace. So that's, that's a changing perception, changing slowly, but what we're really excited about the opportunity to be involved at the planning stage and at the designing stage where uh, our experience and perspectives can, can make, we think, a stronger difference. So let's, um, the idea of, um, of really engaging you in that and Thank you for, for participating in that. And I, I know there was more in the room, and more in the, what do I call it, the pavilion. There was yeah. more in the pavilion than what we had a, a chance to share. Um, so um, you will get plenty of chances to chat. But we really wanted to make sure that we were, this was about what you came here tonight looking for. Um, so why don't we throw to, um, which one will we start uh, I with, I think we'll Dan? start with natural light. So yeah. who, because I think that, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. Um, I think, over the last 10 years, I think every brief that we take, natural light, I think, is the one thing that's echoed consistently from every single, probably every group of every briefing workshop or interview we have, is people's 
desire to be connected to the outside. Um, I guess a lot of these environments that we create are in very controlled towers. The environments are um, modified. The air intake is, um, is, there's only a provisioned amount of natural air that, that flows into the workplace. But light um, is one that I think um, everybody wants. I mean, you think about the, I guess, the first days of summer when, you know, it's been it's been grey and miserable and, and how energising light um, is. So I think it's something that we as designers take very seriously um, and generally start, I guess, in the process with that is, um, is actually trying to maximise the amount of um, infiltration of lights, which um, it sounds easy, but it's not net. There's a lot of overlaying factors in a workplace that basically mean that hierarchy, um, storage, partitioning, privacy, all come into play that then create barriers between those that are uh, unlucky enough to sit, I guess, furthest away from the windows. So there's a few methods, I guess, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, can well, I, can, yeah, can I can I can I just throw to that first of all? It's it's interesting that you're talking about a, a certain you know a certain genre of worker and, and a particular um, requirement or or a particular like or dislike in this case, and and that that's certainly something. And we'll see what Dan's perspective over the years has been. But certainly over the years, we've seen that there are um, certain groups where there's more collaboration. It's a different type of work and they crave the natural light. And, and overall, that, that is a majority. Um, and then other groups and, and your, your engineers and, and the IT crew are, are of that, where they want to be in their cave and, and they don't want to be distracted. So there is, there is definitely a difference between different um, types of workers, different tasks that they're doing. But overall, as Dan's saying, we seem to have this human gravitation, you know, I'm talking generally towards it, and, and as Dan says, all the briefs that they're getting uh, are requesting it. Yeah, I mean, I guess part of the process of um, beginning any of the designs that we, 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 we have consultation. So it's probably understanding, it's not probably the typical thing that would crop up. Um, I mean, I, even in our own business, our visualizer likes to sit in the dark because, you know, it's screen based and, um, you know, it, 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 it requires that sort of engagement with the screen so it's not as important. So I guess, probably the best attempt I would have at answering that question is trying to flush that out during the briefing process. Um, part of that briefing process is about identifying adjacencies and and generally everyone's clamoring to be the ones that sit near the windows so we, it would it would be ma it would make sense to try and I guess identify that early on and put them in the basement or somewhere where you know, <laughs> they're not necessarily um, going to um, you know, if, it, if it's not a if it's not a benefit, but you do see. I mean, it, it always um, it uh, with natural light does come glare. That's the other issue, I guess, and that's one thing that we often um, are surprised when we go back sometimes into fit outs and everyone's got the blinds pulled down. Um, and generally, uh, 
that comes down to someone takes pulls the blind down during the day to cut like the 10 minutes of reflection coming off another building and then the blind stays down for the rest of the day so i mean there's a lot of i guess smarts around building engineering that can navigate that but i guess not every workplace um, can afford it so it's probably more understanding at, at the onset the requirements of each group and then trying to plan accordingly um yeah, yeah and, and there's the different teams within the, the, the greater organisation as well, you know, and it's it's fascinating when you're just working the last couple of days at various different levels. You go at one level where everyone's very much in their own space, it's screen-based work, they're, they're in their own zone. You go to the next level and it's like Friday afternoon at the pub and, and everyone's talking and swivelling. So, so, so even the, the ergonomic design, the ergonomic advice is, is quite different in those cases and certainly their relationship with natural light um, will vary as well. We sort of touched, you started touching a little bit on ventilation, so maybe we'll go to that. Are you happy that we've kind of started yeah. some conversation <laughs> on that? Yeah. Um, we did have a, a good question around fresh air and ventilation. Forgive me for forgetting where that came from. There you are. Um, so I might start a, a, a little bit with that and then Dan will be um, a wealth of knowledge on that, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> some engineers sitting in the crowd, so they might. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, <laughs> they're like, whoa, <laughs> people who know more than us. Um, so just, just to, I guess, introduce some perspective from a, from a, um, yeah. just from lots of time working with people in, in that space is this concept of presenteeism. And um, that, that is a word I think we're starting to, to understand in terms of you're at work, you're there, but you're not really doing much. You're you're not productive, um, and so certainly we're seeing that areas where ventilation hasn't been well thought through or just been really badly designed. Um, so that the person over here has got this cold draft right down their neck, and that can actually, unfortunately, be uh, um, an aggravating factor for some neck and shoulder issues. If you've got that, you're just in that wrong spot with the air conditioner. The person literally two metres away um, is is hot all the time and, and removing layers. So there's there's a design, and we'll see, what, I'm sure what car design are all over those sorts of issues. Um, there's a design factor around ventilation. There's also um, very much, it's, it's really important to prevent that presenteeism. I think... Um out of all the post-occupancy surveys that we do, is light being the one thing that everyone asks for in the briefing. Temperature control at the back end is one thing that people always can never agree on. I guess everybody has um, different <laughs> approach to body temperature. I know even in our own office, there's those that uh, we have the ability to control the, um, the temperature actually mm. at the point which most in most workplaces you don't it's it's a regulated process which is probably quite a good thing because it, you'll never make everybody happy from that end but flipping to um uh ventilation and natural ventilation um i think a lot of the work um, you know i'd say 90 percent of the, the buildings that we get to work in uh, aren't necessarily naturally ventilated in the sense you can just open a window and have mm. um we're lucky enough to work in a workplace where we do have that um but most of the time, um, it's quite regulated through the building management system, and there's only a certain provision of air pumped into every into every floor. So as designers, it's quite um, complex at the onset to work with the engineers to be able to understand the capacities of every of, e of every level that, um, particularly of meeting spaces. And I think the work floor generally. The capacity of that is quite understood. Like you know, you've got to fit a hundred people into onto a level. But um, meeting rooms, I think, 
people underestimate the amount of time people spend in meeting rooms. I think that meeting rooms really are the new workplace. Like I think as we move towards more flexible environments where people don't own desks anymore and they, they desk share because the reality is mo a good proportion of the workforce spends a huge amount of time in, in meeting spaces and I'm, I'm one of those terrible people that fall asleep when the air runs out. Um, I, I, you know, and I think that um, fresh air is often um, something that uh, is probably quite, um, it, you know, it's a complex thing obviously to work out quantities of how many people are going to be using each space and balancing those needs offer how much air you provide, but um, it's probably one of those crucial things that keeps us sort of alive and running um, because once the oxygen levels do drop, people tend to get sleepy and restless and um, which is uh, obviously has then a direct impact on um, productivity. So, mm, Terrific. Yeah. Um, how are you feeling about the response to that? Is, there, is it starting to tap into some things? Yeah, okay. So start yeah. talking productivity. Yeah, right? law firms are the ones that, are, mm. from a from a perspective of often they like to have a lot of events. So what happens is um, that we sometimes there's only a certain, as I said, a certain provision that gets provided to each floor. So you tend to balance off. You might fudge the numbers in meeting rooms to then enable a 200 person event in a reception area. So <laughs> to answer your question, that that there is there are a lot of compounding reasons as to why sometimes the air um, yeah they, 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 there is a lack of oxygen basically so yeah. I might take a, a bit of a segue from what Dan was talking about there to touch on another topic that's been brought up and that's around collaborating private spaces versus where you're collaborating with others so essentially moving to activity activity based work and firstly I'd just like to sort of acknowledge that Activity-based work, unfortunately, has been confused with um, hot desking, which, which is a, a, a bit of a variation on that, which people have a more cynical response to. And hot desking in its worst form was a recognition that, hey, we've got, you know, 10 to 15% of people, um, uh, you know, not here at any given time. Let's, let's not waste office space. Let's uh, just get people to arrive find whatever desk is free and acknowledge the fact that we've got this, this fairly consistent um, uh, percentage of people that aren't around. So that's, that's really just, you know, number crunching and just trying to get as many people into one space at one time. And what we're finding is when we introduce the advantages and the ideas around activity-based working, we're met often with a bit of that cynicism, okay, you're talking about hot desking, yeah, we hate <laughs> hot desking, you know, we, we want to have our own desk, we want to have pictures of our dog and pictures of our family, and they see it in a quite a cynical light. And, and it, really, we need to think differently about this. There's, there's a great opportunity and a great evolution taking place towards very traditional, in our little box, working all day at a fixed height workstation, and, and that's just what we do, that's office work and really evolving and moving past that into a more creative and open opportunity, which is what activity-based uh, work uh, is all about. So when this is designed well, and that involves, as Dan has mentioned, really scoping, really consulting, um, being quite sort of conscious of what are the tasks, what's the sort of work that's happening here, what are the preferences and the needs of the client, then it can, it can work very well. So it's a sec effectively, say again, it's effectively um, creating neighbourhoods where different type of work is done. And rather than having your spot 
there's lockers where you can keep things and then depending on the type of work that you're doing you will move to different parts so um, you know some parts are, are very well suited just for your own space it's you and the computer and, and that's what's happening uh, others for one-on-one -on -one collaboration so, so coming to the question earlier about that where you, you it's well designed for that um, groups of three four and then larger meeting spaces as well I might uh, use that as a handball on to Dan to talk about <laughs> about how they're designed well. I, I can't, yeah, I, I think from a um, design perspective it is, it is one of the more challenging aspects to bring people around to thinking of things differently other than their own desk and their own ownership over that. And I think the benefits that, um, if done well, and it doesn't, I guess, to catch that, it's not necessarily right for every business. So mm -hmm. um, we've, we've, we've had clients that have come in and talked about um, activity-based working like it's a product. Like, I need to get ABW in my workplace. And, like, really, um, that approach has probably quite, has been quite um, negative for that, that way of working um, because typically the way um, you address it is to actually identify what types of activities and work patterns are occurring within that workplace. So for example, um, businesses that have high proportion of, of sales teams that necessarily are in and out of the office and then uh, work collaboratively or um, for example, an organisation we worked with, um, Meat and Livestock Australia, um, which is around the promotion and marketing of um, meat product, um, they were finding it very, very difficult to have their teams come together quickly to drive campaigns and to drive products. So that it was right for that, that group of people because they were able to then um, form teams quite quickly to then develop projects and, and work in a more agile, agile manner. So, but coming back to the question that you asked about, um, I think the one thing that people, I think there's been a lot of discussion over the last 20 years, particularly around collaboration and collaboration is the be all and end all of workplace. And, you know, you've got to have, um, you know, everybody in the open plan, everybody overhearing everybody. And I think that there's been a strong recognition in the last few years about focus and focus of actually getting the job done. So um, a lot of the time, th the reason that activity-based working has started to actually make some sense to people is that they do have the, the option to move away out of these big open environments that are um, noisy, distracting, disruptive to actually then have the option to work in a more, in a more focused manner. And in some environments that we've created, um, it wasn't necessarily putting those people in a room. It was, it was that um, the meat and livestock example that I talked about before, we, we broke the floor up into five distinct zones. So one was called um, sort of, you know, the activity zone where people were working on projects right through to silent areas where it was understood that if you were working in that area, then you were not to be disrupted. You had to have your mobile phone turned off and that you weren't to be approached. So, and then there were variable scales of that. And that approach seemed to work quite well for that organisation. It might not work for everyone, but I think um, a lot of the learnings that we took away from that <coughs> is that it's not all about getting together all the time and just generating ideas that people actually have to produce things and they have to read things and they have to concentrate on things and not. And I think um, distraction um, or disruption, which we'll come to probably on the overload of email and um, mm. there's a lot of um, uh, research done around this constant overload of information to the point where it actually drops your IQ level down and you're acting almost 
operating almost sort of semi-inebriated. So um, I think it's one of the bit, yeah, it's one of the, the, the bigger challenges that we face now is actually trying to work through how to decipher the right balance between concentrating and collaborating. I don't know if I've quite answered what you've... <laughs> and meetings about meetings. Yeah. 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 So it's like, I don't know if, even if that's there's like theories about the, the right balance of the system. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's. Yeah. I might start with that if that's okay. Yeah, it, it, it's touching on another topic that's been brought up, so I might use it to move into that. And you, you're absolutely spot on. You, you just keep collaborating and making plans and making action. At some stage, you've got to sit down and actually do the work. Um, so when, when we do surveys around what makes a, a workplace um, promote our well-being, we feel valued, we feel you know connected with it, um, flexibility is important. And flexibility is around that I can work from home or remotely at different times, particularly people juggling family and work. Um, but also within the workplace that it's been thought through, as Dan's talking about, it's a good match for the organisation that you can move into spaces that promote, right, concentration, mobile phones off, let's get some work done. But just touching on that flexibility, a lot of people say that they love working remotely because they get stuff done. So you're really sort of killing a couple of birds in one stone with that, providing those opportunities for people who have a one hour and a quarter commute and want to only come in a couple of days a week for that reason or fit around school hours. But also there's constant um, feedback that in the office there's emails coming in, people are coming to talk to me, we've got meetings galore. So, you know, there's that opportunity to really just settle in and get some work done in that instance as well. So I might just take the opportunity, because uh, I, I think a big one which was brought up also is around movement. And so I'll just give a little bit of background with that and then we might use that. This can move into some other discussions. Um, Sedentary work, okay, it's the new, it's being talked about as the new smoking, although a recent um, comparison that I think is even more accurate is the new UV um, exposure in the sense that uh, a little bit of sitting's good, just like a bit of sun is good, otherwise, you know, we, we don't function well. But it's when we overdose on it, when we get too much of it, it starts to be a problem. So that's where it, I think the, I think it's a better, um, it's a better metaphor than smoking in that, as they say, every cigarette kills you, whereas some sitting is, is good for us. And, and there looks to be, and this is evolving science, but there looks to be some evidence around the fact that seven to eight hours looks to be about the threshold. So sitting in a day up to seven to eight hours seems to be reasonably okay. Although if we sit for long durations, it's not as good for sitting in, in more intermittent periods. And what I say to people who are asking for guidance on this is I say, imagine a weekend, and I try to picture a weekend without my one and five-year-old because it's, the time's not your own, but imagine a weekend or a backpacking or holidaying where the time is your own 
And, and imagine how you would sort of move between sitting and standing and walking and moving in that type of scenario. So we would naturally just sort of fairly, you know, efficiently move from sitting, standing, lying, and we would vary our posture and our movements quite naturally. So essentially that's, in terms of design, that's what we're really looking to promote in workplaces where, okay, we've been sitting for a while, time to stand up, let's uh, go to a stand and have a standing meeting or do some work on the computer in a standing position. And now, okay, prolonged standing is also problematic. Let's sit down, give our, our muscles a break and work that way. So with movement, there's, there's an opportunity through design to really facilitate that. Uh, just a little bit more on the science of that. Um, so we've seen with um, sedentary work, prolonged sitting, especially when we're starting to creep up to the 10, 11 hours a day, and especially when people aren't, aren't getting up, um, increases in cardiovascular disease, um, premature death, so lower life expectancy, um, increases in rates of some cancer, including particularly bowel cancer, and also type 2 diabetes as well. So quite significant factors, and it's really in the last sort of three to three to four years that a lot of this is becoming quite quite significant. And look, in, in our space, and, and Dan's touched on this already, we're, we're now sort of seeing people wanting solutions around it. Simply just getting sit-to-stand workstations is not the silver bullet. It can help. It can be part of the recipe for success with this. But uh, just last week, I was I won't name the organisation, they've all got at the touch of a button the ability to stand. At any given time, 90, 95% of them are sitting. Um, when they first moved in, it was all on, sit, stand, <laughs> sit, stand, up, down we go. And then just a year or so later, we're seeing that. Um, the area where they're ahead of the game on us in this is in Scandinavia, and we've seen that there. So what we've seen is that you need to promote a culture of movement. So we have a blog through PHW Group, our organisation. It's, it's a bit sort of kitsch, but we call it the movement movement. And how can we build movement into our working day quite naturally? Um, so I'd be interested in maybe who, who would like to throw forward something they do, uh, particularly for those of you that are office-based, what's something that you do that just gets you up and out of the chair? Let me just clarify those effects that I spoke about. The research shows that if you get up for two minutes every 30 minutes, you've pretty much mitigated those um, potential health effects. So um, you're all thinking, there's no way I get up for <laughs> two minutes every 30 minutes. But if, if you're at least heading in that direction, you're helping yourself. But who has just a few ideas? Yep. Yeah, so some great products like Wilcan products and others can certainly facilitate movement. Um, it's, it's the more sort of engineered and thought through um, concept from the physio ball, which 10 years ago people were starting to shift onto that. And um, 
for those of us consulting in the space after some time, we, we really had to strongly suggest they didn't do that uh, for a number of reasons, particularly you get up to go to the toilet, your ball rolls and someone <laughs> trips on it. And it's now officially a work safe position that you're not uh, supposed to have one um. in the workplace. <laughs> but these chairs and these stools, are, uh, they don't roll off. So, <laughs> it's, so it's an evolved position on that, yes. Dan, Dan I've spoken for a while. Yeah. Do you want to chip I in? mean, I look, there's, there's, there's ways, I could be quite sceptical and say there's a lot of... The, some of the things that we've done to promote movement weren't necessarily engineered to make people move, but they do. For example, I think um, one of the key ones is um, a lot of buildings, particularly new buildings, have taken away the bin from under the desk um, and that people complain about that because they don't like to obviously have to get up and walk to put something away. But I guess the, the benefits, and I don't think it was ever done to make people move um but i guess one of the pros of that are that people do have to move if they want to get rid of their banana peel some grotty people just put it in their drawer and like leave it there um which we've sort of come across as well but um look there's the other th probably from a, a design perspective um it, the idea of intertenancy stairs they've been around forever so i won't really go on about that because yes that promotes movement but i think some of the things that we're actually asking our clients how about now when we look, when we talked about adjacency planning before about the the engineers that like to be in the dark, um, at the beginning of the process, we really try and eke out who needs to be next to who, or who, more importantly, doesn't want to be next to who, um, who interacts with each other the most. And traditionally, you'd put those people together, you'd put those, you'd you'd work out the most interaction that occurs between people, you'd put them next to each other. But now, in some clients that actually ask us to consider how to introduce wellness into the workplace, we actually start to challenge, well, do they actually need to sit next to each other? Should they be put mm. positioned? Do you have a question? No, I have a question. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll So, yeah, is yeah. there any... Yeah, I might. It's a great, it's a great perspective and great question because, you know, it, it's a, it's reverse logic, isn't it? It's like, well, we're sort of thinking of efficiency, people together, you know, that need to work together and streamlining, and then we're building in the need to move. And, and as you say, that 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 can certainly have um, an effect on productivity. And that's that's an interesting conversation to have with clients in the design space because. What what and what what we're often arguing is, um, you know, let's actually try and get the best best of both worlds as best we can. So where you've got height adjustability, for example, and you've sat for 45 minutes, 50 minutes, you're starting to recognise the need to to stand up. Um, just to be able to do that at the press of a button, the great thing about that is you don't necessarily lose your concentration, particularly the ele electronic controlled um, workstations. Whereas if you go, oh, okay, research says I've got to get up for two minutes now, it's been over 30 minutes, and, and it they, you know, takes around sort of six, seven minutes on average to get back to where you were. So if you actually at it, if you do not have the design in a way that's really thought this through, you're potentially losing around about a third of your time in productivity just to to sort of manage that. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I've never said that. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna. We're, we're wondering what are each other's. Um, I, 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 no, I, no, I, it's a fair question because I. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. My perspective, and we'll see what Dan thinks, is no. I think it's an evolution. So, so I, I would say it's similar to non-smoking in restaurants. Ah, uh, yes, sorry. So is sit-to-stand workstations, are they a fad? That was the question. Like, like, well, we've seen fads come and, come and go before. My, we'll see what Dan says. I, I don't think so. I think it's an evolution. And, and like evolutions in this space and other spaces, we have early adopters and we have... I'm, we're, we, we unfortunately are exposed to a lot of clients that are hoping it's a fad. Okay. <laughs> that, so we, it's just questioning there, is this a fad and some feedback there around, you know, that people are thinking that it is. I, d I don't believe so. I think it, it, it really fits in with what we know is, is helping keep people well and productive at work. Um, Dan? Well, I think you may have put it pretty well before when you said it's the silver bullet. I think that people are looking for an easy thing to, to mm. visibly connect to wellness and I think that sit to stand is probably it's probably that at the moment that I think that it like when I talked about I've got to get myself the ABW or the activity based working thing it's it's a similar the clients come asking for it now so it's not like as a designer you're saying these are the options you can um, have a sit to stand desk people are actually quite well educated around wanting it because they've either seen it or they've read about it or they've you know you've even got the ones now that you can retrofit and put on the top of a desk that just brings things up so I think from the fad angle, maybe it's, well, <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's a fad. I, I, I think... I'll jump in there and say, well, I think what we, we, I agree with, with Dan that we're, we're seeing a lot of organisations that want to have a simple solution to a complicated problem. So we're really talking about a culture of bringing movement into the workplace. And we'll, we'll come, you've got a question regarding that. It's, 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 it's not the silver bullet, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I, I, what, we're, what we're starting to talk about is a big issue and it's a complicated issue and it's culture, it's workplace culture. So coming to those examples again before where they have access to sit-to-stand workstations but they're not using it. Uh, the other big one I see that I think is a cultural challenge probably for most of us in the pavilion is meetings. Do we sit at meetings when we don't need to? And that's just a cultural thing. Everyone's meet, sitting, there's chairs, the big boardroom chairs are there, there's the table, we'll sit again even though we're sitting all during the day. So we're talking about an opportunity for organisations to move into a culture of movement. And through, through design, we have an opportunity to facilitate that. Uh, but, you know, we certainly clients, as is being talked about here, they want a simple solution. And as Dan's talking about, they say, well, if we just put those in, then voila. We tick the box, yeah. I think. And I, I, like, I don't, I'm not being as sceptical as to say that it is about just box ticking, but I think it's one that um, people do identify. And you made the good example that you put them in and 99% of people still sit. Um, uh, so 
it, 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 it probably will only time will tell whether it's a fad or not, I guess. Um, like as far as whether you, I think that there's definitely a trend now to try and make it for every desk. Like people want it, like before it was quite acceptable to just put it in. It might be that you had the choice to go to a hot desk to stand, but now it's seen as something that they, people are trying, organisations are trying to roll out across the board because I guess it does, it's something that they can like environmental or GECA. Um, it's something that they can then promote as a marketing thing to say, this is what we're doing for our employees. And whether that's a fad or not, it's a bit hard yeah, to... Yeah, and that's just to sort of maybe round up on that point. That's a big, a big opportunity for organisations in terms of being a, an employer of choice, um, retaining quality staff, and really particularly with the millennials, is that the term we're using, the, the sort of more Gen Y workers coming through? They're really looking and valuing... Um, having these sorts of um, you know, great aesthetics and, and great opportunities to, to collaborate and move and use the space well in, a, in an ABW sense. So um, I, I think we've sort of covered a lot of what was mentioned at the start and some people have arrived since then. I've got some ticks on there. So what, what I think is, what, what questions do we have? What's come up for people in the, in the group um, that you'd like us to touch on now? Yeah, the, yeah. well, I think that's where a lot of the time it does fall down is that if the etiquette, particularly around if you are going to create rules around the way you can use spaces, if that's not communicated correctly, then, of course, people aren't going to adhere to it or they're going to naturally buck the trend against the rules. So mm -hmm. I think if it's intuitive and it makes sense, that's when it seems to be adopted. So where, where, where there, there were zoned things were clearly zoned and you wouldn't go in there in like for example the quiet space was the darkest space so therefore you probably didn't want to spend that much you're not just going to go and camp in there and then so it was trying to find ways to underpin also having an etiquette around how to use space but like communication of that back through through the process is the only way it works and i guess also getting the like on some examples where we talked about clients coming and wanting a particular style of working well that's never going to work I mean it's probably we have to communicate actually with the people that are working in that space to then come up with something that's going to then work for them rather than just giving them a pres prescribed solution so particularly around those more I guess there are, I don't want to say innovative or different ways of working unless you're actually engaging with the end user and working out how they're going to use it then Mm. It's probably not going to work. Yeah, so, so. You, you do need to engage in a trial period. You need to take some evaluations and measures of that. Um, you you, you want to be getting as much feedback as you can because then if you're trial and erroring with, um, you know, in a pilot sense, then you, you're not as likely to get inappropriate spaces that just aren't being used or not being used as well as we'd like them to. So there's that process, as Dan's touched on, around... Um, maybe dedicating a, a certain floor to trying certain things and getting that feedback and you can take measures of productivity and um, and just user experience and, and how much movement we do and you can use, um, I still say pedometers, but there's all sorts of um, fancy ways of, of measuring movement nowadays. Uh, we are finding when, when they then go back up to their other desks that almost all of those factors, by the way, do go back to their resting levels in terms of how much movement they have. So even when people have participated in those pilots and seen the uh, the advantages of being in more 
um, movement-focused workspaces. Uh, when the environment, when, and this is the importance of design coming up again, when the environment goes back to that more traditional office setting, by and large, they don't retain um, uh, you know, their movement patterns that they were in. So certainly seeing some evidence around um, facilitating movement through design with that which I'm sure car design's doing uh, beautifully. Um, so is that, is that sort of a little bit more on, on what was being talked about there? Um, at the back, yep, sorry. Sorry, just uh, if you can speak up. We've got cars behind us here, Sue, or even come a bit closer, or you can go all the way to the mic over there. <laughs> With interruptions. Yeah, it's it's we we were touching on that earlier. It was it was a great discussion. That's okay. But just to reiterate some some of the points, the point was made that um, you know sometimes through and, and one of the advantages of remote work or flexible work is that people can be into their own space and just get stuff done. Um, so you can have a clearer sort of separation between collaboration and meetings versus just sitting down and actually getting the job done. And um, and and having effective neighbourhoods. You know, this area is no mobiles, no talking. Um, this is for collaboration in pairs, collaboration in small groups, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so that was some of what was talked about. But I think the gentleman he had some small kids. The gentleman who first asked about how do we handle all these emails, um, some of the coaching around that, just the four Ds: do, diarise, delegate, or delete. Um, if you can, I'm just throwing. It's a bit off the topic, but I'll just throw that out there. That can make a big difference as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 Okay. It is interesting to think we haven't probably got to the point where we, where space, how to control space to become the filter for that. And I think that's a really exciting thing to look to in the future is we, we've identified that we're so overloaded with all of this digital onslaught. But how does how the how can spaces actually adapt to that and how mm. and and change? I, I guess mm. etiquette comes back to how you know how how you know you, mm. you, you yourself filter things whether you turn your emails off so they don't disrupt you. But how, I mean, I guess that's where we're going to have to look to in the future is how mm. spaces are actually going to adapt to accommodate co that constant stream of of, of interruption. Uh, it's a wondering, and I haven't seen this done, but I'm wondering whether, you know, in some of these collaborative spaces and, and whatnot, we actually block block internet access, you know, strategically. Um, whether that's, I'm just throwing that out there, but it's certainly that, yeah, that filter issue that you're talking about and, and the discipline, <laughs> the discipline to do that. Yeah, well, some of our clients have said, and I think we've, tr we've tried it ourselves a few years ago, but email-free days, one of our clients um, uh, who's quite... Um, 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 I guess it imposes some um, etiquettes around the way people act in the workplace, even to the point where they actually have provided a bit of a, a bit of a guide of of, of what's expected of um, behaviours in the workplace, um, which might sound pretty full on. But in some ways, it does then set a framework of expectation of how people are actually going to interact with each other. And one thing that was quite interesting um, with this client is that they actually, in the actual open plan, have made that all, um, all all phones are turned to silent just generally. You know, there's the, the, the you've got the little um, flicking light that tells you that the call's coming in, but there's not that constant background noise of um, just 
disruption and 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 buzz. So, I guess it's some. Um, in some ways it is implying a filter, whether that's sort of mandated or not, um, I guess is one way of, of perhaps dealing with that um, and whether that's email free days or email free hour or get up and talk to the person next to you rather than send an email, which we all probably are pretty familiar with somebody sitting two seats away from us who will actually send us an email rather than turn around and talk to you. Um, but I guess that's only, mm. yeah, that's a, it's sort of a, a thing that we're gonna have to be conscious of, yeah. We've got nearly 10 minutes where we'll stay as, as a big group and, and we'll take some more questions and then we'll, we'll go into a bit more of an informal um, part. But is there other questions around what we've spoken about so far or, or new ideas, perspectives and questions that have come up for you? I thought that was a hand up, but it was someone just <laughs> going for their, their drink. Yeah. Yep. I'm just wondering, because obviously the intersection of design and the intersection of culture... Mm. 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 Yeah, yeah. We always were very careful because you <laughs> you go in and you we talk about culture when we present to clients at the beginning about how space can space can't engineer a culture. It can provide a framework for it. It can certainly open opportunities for people to come together and to understand the ritual. Like when we start out with the, at the beginning of a process, is trying to actually understand the workplace rituals that exist on a day-to-day -day basis and identifying the behaviours that you want to retain and celebrate and those that you'd kind of like to leave behind when you move. And obviously the space really, to a degree, can't, can, can help change those things, like if you move to a different way. But it's very, it's a dangerous ground to tread on to say that the, the space can then actually construct the culture. So we try really not to go down that path. So it is very much about I guess mixing, understanding the desire for what people want their cult, their workplace culture to be, and then trying, trying to come up with a way to then help guide and allow that to mould and flourish. Mm. So I'm not sure whether that answers the question again, it's, but it's, um, it's a, I guess yeah. it's a, a sort of open it, yeah, open. It's 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 a it's a tricky one, like where that where that actually how you sort of negotiate through that it's it's a great question and I, I think that the response there was 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 really appropriate and spot on in that you're creating an opportunity for a, a positive culture and a culture of well-being and movement and all the things we've spoken about but it is simply an opportunity uh, and and when we look at in that ergon with that ergonomics hat and we look at what really makes a difference in terms of uh, worker well-being we end up, I'll be frank with you, we end up stripping back more and more and more from the, um, the, the heights of things and the usability of things and more and more towards how well someone connects with their direct supervisor, for example, yeah. um, how people communicate well or, or not so well uh, as a team. So uh, certainly today's focus is on, on design and, and um, we're acknowledging it provides an opportunity for better health and productivity. But, you know, that's, that's, a, that's an honest perspective as well. Culture is, is a complex thing. It, it's very much around our relationships, particularly the relationship with our supervisor or direct manager. It has a really big impact on our on well-being in the workplace. Um, even in remote um, working situations, we've found that to be a, a big factor. Other questions? Yep. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah, which is an e- that's quite tangible to we want nicer we want a nicer environment and you can sort of you can to some way set success me- success measures at the beginning of the project to get to that point. It's a lot harder to ma- measure cultural impact. I mm. think um, there are certainly tools that we use, post occupancy surveys and 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 going back in and asking questions once the design is done. But it's still quite hard. Like I've always fascinated how do you ascertain that you've had an impact on productivity mm. because really the questions we ask versus what they know about where they're you know we're not always privy to also mm. the dollar increase or the bottom line or how what that saved because it's sort of somewhat disconnected so it's a hard one it is a hard one that you have to go in and just be quite, I guess quite confident about the fact that most of the time you know when you go back that it's made an improvement or it hasn't I mean I won't sit here and lie there have been projects over the years that you kind of go back and you go you know didn't quite probably get where it wanted to go but I guess um, more recently it is um, it's about it's just a continual communication not walking away once the job's done and actually sort of understanding what things worked and what things didn't work so then that informs the next project and I think um, it's not being scared about asking if something why something failed like I mean, just human things do fail so it's sort of getting to the heart of actually understanding why things didn't work or why um, mm. yeah well, I, you know I think maybe from an injury perspective it might be easier to quantify but yeah it, productivity is a hard thing to measure um, you know in manufacturing and whatnot and you sort of how many you know items were moved in a certain period of time but our work is more complicated than that so a lot of the productivity measures, um, I was noting in, in the recent conference, we had the International Ergonomics Foundation here in, in August, were still very much perceived measures um, because of the nature of work we do. I mean, how do we, how do we measure productivity when we're collaborating and coming up with ideas in terms of um, things that are, are not just quantifiable? So uh, we are getting better at it. There's a few case studies that are, are, are handy that are publicly available with Telstra buildings and other buildings where, um, you know, where, where they've measured a little bit more um, than what we traditionally have done. So you can read about some of that. And um, by all means, come up to me and we'll share email addresses and I can send you some of those. And um, just while I'm, I'm thinking about that, that's um, an opportunity for, for everyone. And it's been great. We've really held a, a lot of you here, except those with little kids have, have taken off in various directions. But... Um, I think if, if Dan's happy, we will, um, we will turn this now into a bit more of an informal chat because we have um, used up our hour. But I would really invite you to, um, to stay and, and, and ask us some questions and we're very happy to, um, to sort of keep the conversation going, maybe even over a bubbly now yeah. that we've um, <laughs> sort of at this point. Okay. Um, are, you, are you happy yes. with that? Yeah. Great. Because yeah. um, hopefully you've seen it's a, it's a great topic and we could keep talking about it a lot. Um, Thank you. The other thing I just would invite you to do, this is just an invitation, is if, again, particularly if you're here on your own, is just when you've had a sort of an hour and you've been extremely attentive and asking fabulous questions, just to touch base with one other person before you you sort of head off out of that space and just reflect. It's really good after a session like that, just a couple of key points, a couple of gems. In the training I I run, I love to do that as a circle. I'm not going to embarrass you all. It's a bit more (laughs) informal than that. But it's just an invitation. Just touch base with someone, two or three gems that came out or or more wonderings that came out. 
um, we'll, um, we'll, we'll stay and um, grab some bubbly and be happy to continue the conversation. So thanks, thanks very much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> thanks, <Dan. Cool. laughs>